In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I was a monad searching for a destiny that didn't exist. What I had, and it has never left me, was a dream of a reality that we could only touch tangentially, an awe of the numinous in nature whose power rested in its very unattainability, a feeling for the necessity of darkness in the life of man, in the Sistine Chapel, where Michelangelo depicts the creation of man, God's finger and that of Adam are separated by a short space. That distance I called eternity, and there I felt I was sent to travel. These words are not the words of a poet. This sequence of thoughts with which I propose to open the sequence of another year with another advent was set forth by a scientist. Hermann Chargaff, an Austro-Hungarian biochemist who emigrated to the United States during the Nazi era, was a professor of biochemistry at Columbia University Medical School and discovered two rules Chargaff's rules that helped lead to the discovery of the double helix structure of DNA. I was a monad searching for a destiny that didn't exist. Advent is not so much about searching as it is about being found. The word adventus from advenire means coming to. Who is coming and to whom and to where depends on your point of view. If you are a monad, that means a consciousness, an individual whole consciousness, a human being scanning the skies, staring through the numberless stars for signs of life, Abraham's children maybe, looking and listening, waiting and watching for something up there to speak back, to appear from that glassy blackness then you are the one who is there, where the other is coming to or becoming present. Maybe a few faint signals wafted swiftly on a solar wind from beyond infinity, assuring you that you are being addressed, reached out to, that someone knows you are there and therefore you matter. But if your waiting becomes too active, your technology too aggressive, then you maybe are the one who is crossing the line, stepping out into space, seeking to get what is out there into your grasp, to uncover and discover the mystery, and to discover the one who hides out there. Who is coming then? Coming to? Coming to indeed. Coming to what? Well, who is coming to us, towards us, as we come to our senses, awakening from a trance or a deep hypnotic slumber to a deeper longing? Life is so much about finding the difference between wanting and longing. What seems to lie out there like a dream so far away, but as as close to reality as we will get this side of heaven, that is what the sight of the stars in the sky awakes in our heart. We are at least awake in the dark, if we respond at all, asking the question, 
extending the invitation, awaiting the response from out there. This Advent, we join the church in celebrating three comings. The first coming, which is past, but which we commemorate in a few weeks, which is the coming of a child into a crib in history. An act so insignificant at the time it happened that it was never recorded until well after the fact. The second coming, in which we await this child now grown into the Son of Man, coming for all eyes to see in power and in glory to judge and to rule, this too is history. But it hasn't happened yet. But its significance, when it happens, will be lost on none not on the living and not on the dead. He comes to everyone then, for weal or for woe. It hasn't happened, this second coming, but it will, at a time that we are not to know. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. These words of our Lord should have silenced speculation since the day they were spoken two millennia ago, but they haven't. Not a moment goes by when someone doesn't produce another schedule of the year when the whole thing will come to an end and Jesus will come back. We want to have this matter very much in our grasp, we people of faith. We want to know for certain so we can set our watches and order our lives. We don't want to be the ones swept away like those at the time of Noah who weren't paying attention to the configurations of the skies above. This is not about the rapture, this text. The ones who get swept away are the ones who are going to perdition. It's the ones who stay behind who will be there when Jesus returns to his world. We might want to make sure that we are among those who are still here when the end comes, when Jesus comes to us. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Better be there, watching and waiting when he comes. Hard to believe that he's saying that anyone might miss him in the midst of all these cosmic cataclysms But he's calling us to a deeper listening, a deeper watching, a deeper waiting, a deeper longing. Finally, the third advent, at least since St. Bonaventura, and that is the coming into our lives every day, every hour, every moment of this time between first and second coming that Jesus promises when he tells us we will never be alone. On the eve of his departure, when he says, you will have me with you always, whenever one or two, whenever two or three, rather, are gathered together, I will be there in your midst, coming to being in our lives as we come to live in him. A constant mystery, an open invitation, unlimited, but only received by those who wait, who gather in the darkness and wait for the light. And that's one last thing to note. Jesus comes at his birth in the darkness, in secret. And his return to earth is shrouded in darkness and in secrecy. Yet he is the light that will shine like the sun. But we meet him in the night.
Like the bridegroom, he calls us to keep our lamps burning for his arrival. If they go out and we are the foolish bridesmaids, if we nod off to sleep as the disciples in the garden, then the door will be shut and we will miss the train that receives that he receives. You know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, Paul says. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near, but it is still night. We wait for the dawn then. We wait through the darkness with our lamps lit for Jesus to come in the dark. Now we don't like the dark. We curse the darkness, for in the shadows lie the works of darkness, the things done and undone that will undo us on that day, on the great and terrible day when all the secrets of our heart are seen with the light of his truth at his appearing. Make no provision for the flesh, then, to gratify its desires. Don't pursue the things we want or think we need at the expense of the things we long for in the depths of our souls. But our wants and our needs consume us in this world. And when those wants are frustrated, we consume others. If we do not meet Jesus in the darkness, however, when all our frustrations have taken their toll, where the ground is thick with the graves of ruined relationships, Love that was not given, love that was not received. Betrayals and promises broken when we stumble over the monuments in the darkness of our own shadow. Only his lamp scanning the myriad sins that we would disguise will lead us to the light that is coming. We want those sins to remain shrouded in gloom and the door remain closed. But we will meet Jesus there in that burial place or nowhere. If we meet him there, he lights a light in the darkness for us, a lamp, a light of longing, a longing for something that cannot be given and therefore cannot be taken, but which remains our deepest desire, something for which we reach, but which forever lies beyond our grasp. This is the groaning of creation. This is the yearning of which all people speak. This is the yearning which moved this great Jewish scientist through his vocation to make this great discovery. The sense that there was something there speaking through all creation in its depths that is gathering us to the creator. And we know that it is better to know what we long for, even though we may never possess it, than to possess all that we want of this world's goods. That we could only touch tangentially an awe of the numinous whose power rested in its very unattainability. We can't possess this thing for which we learn ever, not even on the other side, but that thing that draws more and more the closer we get that recedes and yet becomes more real to us as we journey through this veil of darkness and tears is the one thing that is truly there. Let us learn a little longing then, this Advent, 
Let us learn to discover the pre-dawn places in our own lives, those hidden places where we need Jesus most but are most afraid to invite him in. It might surprise us when we do that he knows the way there better than we, that he knows his way around everything that we would have buried there, and he knows how to set us free forever from stumbling over them in the darkness for the rest of our time here, forever releasing us from the fear that has trapped us of disturbing and kicking up the dust that has settled on the memories that we have tried to bury beneath our feet. Let him set us free then, this Advent. And maybe too, as the darkness around us grows with the deepening shadow of each successive day, Advent marches toward Christmas, let us take this one little practice. We've heard some wonderful practices from Deacon Mary. And this is one I'm stealing from Ruth Haley Barton. It's to bring your Bible and your journal and everything with you as you get up before the dawn and then put it all to one side. Don't open your books and heaven forbid you reach for your cell phone or your iPad or your laptop. Sit in the darkness Watch the dawn coming up, and as it comes, in your hearts invite Jesus to meet you in those places of darkness which you cannot give up. Invite him to meet you there and set you free, to press the reset button on your life and begin to fill your soul with the glorious light of his presence. Let him help you wait for each day different, some days gray and gaunt, some days a burning blaze of evanescent rose and gold. No two the same, but each with the same promise that each day brings of life, new life, new chances, new possibilities of living more and more for him and living into that great longing, that great yearning which is his greatest gift to us. That yearning for nothing less than Christ himself, Christ in us and we in him, tasting the depths and the fullness of his glory, his sweetness and his love. Amen.